The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you identify as? Freedom, beauty, truth, or love? I think obviously I give beauty, but at the end of the day... Come. Freedom, Freedom, beauty, beauty, truth, and come. Rose, love is a many. Splendid thing. Love lifts us up where we belong. All you need is love. Don't start that again. Honestly, I want to give Silky Nutmeg Ganache half man, half woman drag (laughs) and do both parts like I know I could. Um, That song... I think perfectly encapsulates what oh, is the, the elephant love medley. The elephant love medley, which is not a song but a mashup of songs um, performed by Nicole Kidman and Ewan McGregor to perfection. Um, I think that song perfectly encapsulates today's discussion topic: Baz Luhrmann, the Baz Luhrmann cinematic universe, um, and everything that comes with the, the BLC, if you will. Yes, the territory of one of the most maximalist auteurs of our generation um, who is not gay for some reason but we'll get into that. Yeah, we're going to be discussing Baz's oeuvre. And you know he would say oeuvre. Yeah, which we have not seen all of but um, like some of Baz Luhrmann's movies have been very important to me but I actually am not as aware of a lot of his other work. So today, I'm a bit more of the virgin in this scenario. Mm. And we will be exploring Baz's films from kind of his oldest to his most recent, because this is like a virgin, the show where we give yesterday's pop culture today's takes. I'm Rose Domu. And I'm Fran Torado. Roxanne! (laughs) (laughs) A kiss on the hand, maybe. Quite continental. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, Rose, it doesn't matter if you love them or capital T-H-E-M. That's pretty good. Uh, I, I have to say, like, as, as someone who is, is just coming off the high of being at the New York Chromatic Ball... I forgot that Gaga still okay, really let's, but loves... Okay, let's, let's... Okay, I, I have a bone to pick before you even get into it. It uh, was not okay. the New York Chromatica Ball. It was the New Jersey Chromatica Ball. Okay, baby, baby, baby. I don't um, care but... how many times <laughs> it said New York City on her tour dates. It was in New Jersey. It, w- it was in Jersey. And she reminded us many times that it was Jersey. That was honestly, like, one of my biggest critiques was that she said Jersey... Just way too many times. Well, it's better than if she said, hey, New York City, and you're like, we're in New Jersey. No, but it was mostly New Yorkers, and obviously she picked that venue. That's not where you were geographically. Okay, actually, um, just to get right into the recap, I have to say, like, (laughs) she she clearly, like, Googled Jersey, like, right before (laughs) the show, because, you know, the best parts of, like... A Gaga show is like her ad-libbing, and one of her ad-libs was like, you know, I just... That, I would not say that that's the best part of a Gaga show. No, it was off. definitely my favorite and most memorable, the most memorable parts of the show for me was her ad-libbing, and she was like, she was like, you know, I love to come to Jersey and look at the beautiful boardwalks here. <laughs> it was like... Have you, had you seen her before? No. This was my first time seeing Gaga. I... Wow. Uh, I felt spiritually ready for it. I, I do wish one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't see the Fame Monster tour. I wish more than anything Ugh, you missed I out. could have seen that. But I figured this it was, was me kind of I got really cheap tickets for the pit and I was like, this is my time now um to see Gaga. Like I'm ready for this. And cro- I loved um Chromatica. I loved that album. And so I was like, this is the album that I think is is worth seeing it for. Um, what was your favorite performance? Okay, well, she started out... Chromatica Ball spoilers for those listening. She started out with th- three throwbacks. So she, she did Bad Romance, Poker Face, and... And Just Dance. Yeah. Yes, I've seen the set list. None of which she should be doing live. I just... Like, I, I t- strongly feel that we don't need to see them anymore, and I would rather... I have her have like put totally, art pop songs totally, in there. Totally, or... totally disagree. But you know, we are different little monsters, and that's okay. That that was my favorite part of the show, actually, um, because she did it as a park and bark. She literally stood on this rotating platform and had a, co- a huge structural costume that was like disassembled by her dancers and like kept doing these different reveals. But she did. All of these songs, just standing and singing, and it was because she's done them like yes, a billion yes, times was, before. But I think that it was a very compelling way to make us all pay attention to listening to songs that we had heard before, because she put vocal spins on it that I had never heard before. I think it was sonically very interesting. We were focusing on the back dan- backup dancers and the visuals, so I did really, really love those. And as someone who's never been to a Gaga performance before, I wanted to see. I those Get, songs, I, you know? yes, I get that part of it. I just wish she felt liberated from doing their biggest hits because, like, we've all seen the Super Bowl. Like, we've all seen yeah. the iconic performances of those songs. And I just don't think there's that much more to be gleaned from seeing them live, especially when 
like with something like Chromatica, I think there's other parts of her discography that are more thematically relevant to that album that could have used new life breathed into them for this tour specifically. Yeah. I mean, she does no art pop in this tour at all. Yeah. And I would have loved to see some art pop. I thought that I also was kind of Not that I I, I haven't been at the show, but I've also, like, I know what the set list is. Like, I've watched the videos, you know. I think that, you know, the parts that were most memorable to me and most breathtaking were definitely just the visuals in general. The show started out with a very abstract film. A lot of the graphics were in black and white. Um, and, you know, we've been seeing them all over Twitter, but it's just really well done projection work that is not trying too hard. That's the kind of stuff that she does really well. Yeah. In like the AV component is always next level. Yeah. And her, you know, I would say some of her costumes were not amazing, but some of them were phenomenal. Like the alien kind of mask getup that we all saw. She performed shallow in that, which I thought was so like incredible. Like she did her sitting at the piano and doing her ballads, which you and I was a glaring omission from the ballad set list, but the ballads were another fave part. Yeah, I thought it was unacceptable. That's maybe my all-time fave um, Gaga song. I want her to do Speechless live again. Speechless is in my <sighs> top ten of Gaga. Yeah. I think, you know, I was talking about this with someone this weekend. We need to do a Gaga episode. I would love to. I have so much to say to her, and she was so formative to both of our upbringings, uh, and I would love to hear about how that all comes first full circle. And I just want to warn the the little monster virgins that, like, we will, if when we eventually do a Gaga episode, we will not go easy on her. <laughs> we will not hold her hand. Um, no. I, as, as I may have said um, before, like, Part of my standing her, and that's why I'm being critical, even like not having seen the show. Part of my standing her is like, I want her to be the best she can be, and I love her so much. I know that she has that in her, so I really take her to task when I think she does stupid disappointing thing. And that I think is like healthy standum, right? Like any any music artist, if you want to label yourself as a stand stand, like you can do so by not um uh just patently agreeing with and standing everything the artist does without critique. Like, you know, kind of I, yeah. I I to my friend Hunter Abrams is like the biggest little monster I know and is in a little monster fandom group chat with the like dozens of people. If you oh God, I know that level. But they're amazing and they rented a party bus um and filled it with little monsters to to head to the MetLife Stadium and I was a little weary at first because I was like, oh my God, little monsters are kind of like a, a really annoying fan base. Like, what am I going to deal with? But like everyone on the bus, much like you, were very down to just like make fun of Gaga and and all the things that make it's her It's so easy to make fun of her and so fun. Kind of on the note of all this, if anyone is interested in some like extra reading on Gaga, there was a really good, so Pitchfork does a thing and like I know Pitchfork, like I roll, um, every Sunday they like revisit an older album and like do kind of an updated review of it. And this Sunday they released an art pop um, review. I saw that, and it's actually really, really well written. Um, what did they say? And 
Um, kind of a lot of things that all of us say about art pop, which is like, you know, very much placing it at the time in her career that was like really tumultuous because she had like suffered an injury. She was changing management, um, that it's like a very flawed album, but like received a lot of unfair critique Mm -hmm. and also fair critique because she did like really fucked up stuff, like working with R. Kelly, even though everyone knew he was, you know, a fucking abuser or deciding Um, that she wanted to be the next i mean this wasn't fucked up per se but just like a polarizing thing when she was like i'm the next marina abramovich and i am a performance artist i am a helicopter right now like you know what i mean yeah well i mean and this review i think does a really good job of placing all of the context of Mm. like what she was trying to do with art pop like bringing fine art into a you know pop landscape so I definitely suggest reading that I also did write something for a paper a couple years mm. ago when after Gaga tweeted that she didn't remember art pop oh, yeah that when was, she tweeted that was that. really disappointing um I wrote something for paper that's like I think it's called like in defense of art pop so that I I would I think it's actually one of the better things I've one of the few pieces Gaga. of writing you would stand one by of the today. few pieces of writing of <laughs> one of the few pieces of journalism that I stand behind <laughs> Um, so go I, give that um, a read are, if you're interested. Are you a pro Jewels and Drugs Little Monster or a anti? Anti. Okay, just anti. wanted to clarify. Um, I I have to say, you know, in the making fun of Gaga of it all, like I, I said earlier, my favorite parts were like the ad libbing. Gaga is on autopilot up there. Like she is realizing things. She's lobotomized. Yeah, she's yes, that's exactly what it's giving. She's she's had a full lobotomy. <laughs> and she's like realizing things like as she says them. My friend Dakota who I went to the the ball with, she was like it sounds it sounds like the way the way she talks is like I message like prediction text like every word. <laughs> totally. Like every yeah. word like that comes after like is like just happening in her mind as it as it occurs to her. And yeah, like, cuz she speaks kind of she speaks kind of slowly. <laughs> but with a lot of conviction. Like, um, there was this one moment where she was basically trying to introduce Edge of Glory, which was so good. And she was like, Mm -hmm. you know, I've always wanted to shoot a music video on a New York street fire escape. And and I was like, what are you saying? Like, who are you? She's a fucking... She is... Oh, there, God, I love her so much. There was another... But she's a fucking idiot. There was another moment where she was like... She had a really beautiful story about um, Tony Bennett. She's like, Tony used to be my neighbor. Well, he still is, kind of. And I was like, what are you... What are you even... Or the moment that, like, has already gone viral on Twitter where are she's like... fucking and sucking? When she was... <laughs> yeah. Um, when she was like, and they better not come for gay marriage. Am I right, queens? Oh, God. <laughs> And I was like, Gaga, that's like, you've been saying that for a decade, Gaga. Like, that is a decade-old take. Um, Speaking of lift syncs, I just, I want to spend 30 seconds on this as a necessary PSA to anyone listening to this podcast to not make the same mistake I made of watching the beginning of Secret Celebrity Drag Race. Celebrity in quotes. I didn't even know that that was a thing. Yeah. Um, well, I'm here to tell you that it really is not a thing. Um, it was the greatest <laughs> waste of my time. I don't know. I just watched it because I needed something to watch with my trade this weekend. And I was like, I... 
Oh, your trade. I mean, I, I yeah, I had some I had some trade imported this this weekend. And you watched Drag Race with them. I oh, watched Fran. Secret Celebrity Drag Race because that's oh, what Fran. was on. Girl, this was. I mean, I, I don't even need to say it. I, I I can only blame myself. But like, truly, truly, I want that time back in my life. And 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 it is so cringe and such an insult to the drag race stage sorry like i i do feel like i i i that the drag race stage deserves more than that um and i i don't i, I, know I you, don't i don't think that, i know you don't that's what i emphasize i get, I get what you're saying <laughs> that's why i emphasize because i was like i know rose disagrees with me on this but um all that is to say is that all the celebrities that are doing lip sync battle which is the heterosexual rip of Drag Race that, you know, gets probably more viral videos than Drag Race. All those girls should be doing... I have watched that Tom Holland video many Incredible. Times. It's so incredible. Yeah. But Tom Holland, Anne Hathaway, The Rock, Queen Latifah, all those girls, they should be doing secret celebrity Drag Race instead of lip sync battle because... But that's the thing. It's like, 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 even though Drag Race is as huge as it is, they still cannot get real celebrities to I, I guess like com- quote unquote compete on it yeah and that's really disappointing honestly but like I I don't know anyways that's all I wanted to say please 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 do not watch secret celebrity drag race um okay one horrible. thing that I um I, I'm glad that you're giving that recommendation because I listened to another recommendation of yours this weekend, but it wasn't a negative one. It was a positive one. So you were really adamantly trying to get me to watch the new A League of Their Own series on Amazon. I was very resistant because I know I'm going to make some people mad, but I don't really like Abby Jacobson. I kind of, I just kind of like find her whole thing like off-putting. I'm like not really a big Broad City fan. Your your explanation Um, made sense. You're not a girl who enjoys cringecore. Like that's not no, really, and, and 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 I just think that she kind of plays the same yeah. character over and over again, she, which is just a version does. of herself. And she definitely does in this show. She does. But I'm glad that I moved past that because I watched the first two episodes and I actually really liked it. And I certainly feel the same way about Abby Jacobson that I did before. Like I do still find her annoying, but even though she is the star of the show and I guess also wrote it and created it. Mm-hmm. There's so many other characters to like fall in love with. And Caper Lance amazing. Darcy Carden is such a fucking legend. So fun um, to watch. I, I've never f- seen a league of their own in full. It was like on TV a lot when we were kids. Mm, and yeah, so I've seen parts of it, but I've never watched the whole thing, but I don't recommend like- it. It's too long. It drags on. It's like slow. And also the original really thinks that, like, the coach, Tom Hanks, is, like, the most interesting character in the movie, and he's not, you know? But um, I know that the movie is kind of, like, queer canon because of, like, Madonna and Rosie and, like, the, the gay, like, undertones of it all. And I think part of what's great about this reboot is that, like, the undertones are not undertoning. They are overtoning. Every and character is, is gay. And, it, and Yeah, they're all gay. They're all and, gay. Like, spo- I mean, spoilers for the first episode. Like, I screamed when Darcy <gasps> and and Abby made up the end of the episode when she and when she goes, "I thought so," and just walks out. Yes! And then I screamed again at the end of episode two, 
Um, when there's another same-sex makeout, I hope that that happens at the end of, like, every episode just ends with kissing. <laughs> it's really sad. It's a really satisfying show. I, I, I hesitate to put it in the feel-good category because I don't want it to get, like, Ted lassoed. Like, I think it's more complex than that but like the show gives you all of these payoffs that are just reminiscent of that era of movies but it's also like i i I think it's also earned because there is a lot of tension and like there's a lot of fucked up stuff that happens um you know in terms of like these women experiencing misogyny and racism and sexism and you know like Queer phobia. phobia. Um, so when those like joyful moments do happen, like I think my favorite moment in the first episode is when Abby Jacobson, Darcy Carden, and the other woman just enter the field and see everyone playing, and like they all like kind of tear up because they've never experienced that before. And that mm-hmm. is so like it's like actually kind of moving. And so those moments feel really earned. And it's not like it's not just like like kind of masturbatory like woke rebooting and it's not yeah. like trauma poor and it's like kind of like a good a good marriage of like acknowledging the flaws of our history and of probably like the original source material and correcting them the lesbian haircut scene girl like it was so like in, oh, the, in the canon first episode? of yes, it yeah. is so in the canon of like the L word style like lesbian haircut scenes. Like it's so hot. Like the show is hot, and like Roberta Calandra, who plays Lupe, is so hot. Like everyone's hot. Everyone's it's, hot. It's a hot. Also, Kate Berlant like should become one of the most famous people in the world. <laughs> I totally agree. Oh my god. And, wait, you need to you I need think, to listen to Poog. Um in terms of like other things that I kind of maybe made you consume this week. The leaked Kim Petras album. Yeah, I, I I mean I didn't really mind, you know, it's like I listened okay. to like half of it, which took about seven minutes. Because um, <laughs> they're like a, a minute 50. Yeah. And you know, like, here's the thing. It's like perfectly fine pop music. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. that's the thing with Kim Petrus is like, if there wasn't all this ba- like baggage with Kim Petrus, I would like listen to it and be like, cool. I'm like, glad this exists. This is like perfectly good pop music. And like, even even if it's not like her problematically working with Dr. Luke, now it's like the fact that this album was never released and like you can only listen to leaks of it and it's like why couldn't this album just come out like it it, yeah. it is really baffling and it it does suck that there always has to be something with her because the thing is like she should be a bigger than she is like she makes very good very consumable pop music like this and very tiktoky like yeah. and 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 truly like at this point the biggest moment of her career was when coconuts was a sound on tiktok and like but, like, still nothing really came of that when, for a lot of other artists, those are the kinds of things that break them out. And, like, she has a song a, a song with Paris Hilton on this album, and it's just... And it's good. The, the, the Paris Hilton song is pretty good. It's, it's fun. And so, like, when you're thinking about all that, like, all the why of it, it always leads you back to, like, well, w- there has to be some reason that this girl is not breaking out in the way that she should be. And all roads lead back to Dr. Luke in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the drama surrounding this leak is interesting for the virgins. Um, there's not a ton of clarity about what exactly went down, but 
leading up to the release of this album, Problematique, Kim has, you know, been crying on Instagram stories about how her label won't let her release it, how she wants to quit because the album is in limbo. Apparently, it's been officially scrapped. And in a deleted tweet, Kim said, you know, the album's scrapped, so go listen to the leak. Like, I don't care. Like, Did you see her TikTok um, where she was like, thanks for getting my album on the top of the leak charts. Um, yeah. I've got, like, the number one leak. Like, that stuff is funny, and, like... It, I appreciate that, it's, yeah. It's, it shows that, like, she has this, like, good sense of humor, and, like, she has all the components to be a really successful and compelling pop star, but, like, I know... The thing with Kim is, like, I know the odds are stacked against her because she's trans, and, like, I'm sure that a lot of what's going on now stems from probably, like, one bad decision that she made with like signing the wrong contract at Mm -hmm. some point in her career. And that sucks that it will like haunt her forever. Yeah. You know, I think that there's a lot of nuance to this conversation, right? Because Dr. Luke doesn't just produce Kim's music. He produces a lot of Doja songs like Nicki, um, like a lot of like music artists that we like consume and have no problem consuming. And I do think sometimes that Kim is held under disproportionate scrutiny. She should be scrutinized, right? Um, But at the same time, I I think that it's sometimes a little bizarre. I'm not sure I always buy the, you know, I'm trans and so the odds are stacked against me excuse because they're just like tons of marginalized people that um, can do what they do without, you know, signing to... uh, Abu- known abusers, but also she yeah, maybe she, she didn't made know. So, she made she was really decisions. young. Yeah, and I think that you know, I I think at the end of the day, I don't really care about the mistakes she made in her past, and I also don't care if the music I'm currently listening to is produced by Dr. Luke because Dr. Luke makes some fucking hits. Um, This household is a pro turn off the light household. That is a perfect album. It is no skips. It is the best album of Kim's career. Yeah, I, I think love both, to both it. of the turn off the light albums, like when, yes, when Halloween, when Halloween comes around, like I want to listen to those. Like she's the only pop girly who's made like spooky Halloween music. But anyways, I- I'm going to continue to listen to the leaked album. It's, 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 it's got some real, I think the title track is really good, but there are some other hits on there. Yeah. It's like, if it was on Spotify, it's, sure. I might yes, listen to it. It's, yeah. It's, maybe that's it's not it, yeah. easy to listen to it. So I won't. Um, and I want one thing before we wrap up the news, we have failed to mention that, we are shutting down this podcast because mm-hmm. Nympho Wars has returned, and so there's no reason for any other podcasts to exist, including no, this one. No, point blank. So turn Period. this off right now. Go listen to Nympho Wars. Um, yes. And it's been nice knowing you. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Rose, listen... You and I have talked listen about listen to the song <laughs> in my heart. Someone Wrong. told me recently that that listen from Dreamgirls is their favorite Beyonce song. That's the wrong take. That's actually yeah, categorically yeah. false. It's, it's like really I know we're the wrong take. I know we're supposed to say like you know as critics that like things are subjective and that like you know art art is in the eye of the beholder or whatever the fuck. It's that not. Is, that's categorically that's wrong. wrong. That's yeah. wrong. Um, and I feel like we'll have a lot of takes like that with today's discussion on Baz Luhrmann, which I like think, I think so as well. I think you know. Uh, for the the long-term versions, the people that have been with us since day one, Baz has come up in a lot of our conversations. Just like here and there, we yes. talk about Moulin Rouge, we talk about Romeo plus Juliet, we talk about... Just... Romeo and Juliet. I will continue plus, to say... The plus, plus is simply how it is stylized. It's how it, it is, is stylized. Not, it is not... It is and not therefore how I call, say it. It is not... This is not math. The math is not mathing. Here's the thing, is that if I'm in a casual conversation and I say Romeo plus Juliet... They know immediately that I'm referring to the Baz Luhrmann version and not the 1968, like, version. Well, see, that's why I say Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. Right. Well, that works, too. And yet, here I am saying Romeo plus Juliet. I refuse to not say it. Um, But, Rose, I mean, like, I would love to know, like, what your relationship is to Baz. Because I feel like I've already talked about mine on the pod. But, like, you know, what was your first Baz? Or do you remember how you felt about the work? I think, you know, I don't have a, as much of a relationship with his work on a large scale. I have a relationship with specifically two things he has made. Mm. I love Romeo and Juliet. It was a movie that I watched a lot as a kid. It was really formative for me. Mm. It's, the, it's one of the reasons why I, when I was in like fourth grade, went into my dad's like study and grabbed the complete work of William Shakespeare and read the entire thing. It's like mm. one of the things that jump started my love of Shakespeare. Very you. And Moulin Rouge was the thing I was the most obsessed with for 
you know, like a solid year when I was same. a teenager. Same, same, it's same. the reason why I was in love with you and McGregor. I, it helped me discover a lot of music through like all of the covers in mm. it. It, you know, like was very symbiotic with my love of musical theater, obviously. And yeah, it it, it was and is important to me. Mm-hmm. That being said, I never felt that huge of a desire to explore any of his other work. Hmm. Because I think even then I realized the things I was drawn to in those movies were more of the story than the style. Mm. And I know from seeing some of his other projects that so much of what Baz Luhrmann does is about style over Style substance. over substance. I mean, a lot of times very substantive, but sometimes the substance is sacrificed. So what was your intro to Baz? Um, similarly, also had an obsession with Baz spurred by Moulin Rouge, which I think was the conversation for a lot of, you know, culture critics that year. It, it you know, won a lot of Oscars and all that jazz. But I just remember... And this is repeated, I'm sorry for the virgins, but like, I watched that movie and it was a huge unlocking um, for me. My, um, you know, the the bi neighbor of my friend at the cul-de-sac, Mel, showed it to us and corrupted me. And I was like... Shout out to Mel. Shout out to Mel. And I was like, this movie has escorts and faggots and like boisterousness and like murder espionage like promiscuity like all of these things so many scenes that are driven by sex as an engine and i i thought that was so interesting and but what i latched onto was just what you were talking about which is that the stylistic world building that bass does in almost all of his films that I is just very, very, very mighty. Any of my friends will tell you that I am a style over substance girl. Like aesthetic style, how it looks is like I'm very I'm it's my big weakness and I will overlook a lot of like quality control issues if it just looks really good. Um it's like something that Justin and I always get into arguments about actually, and I'm not proud of that, but it's just who I am. Um yeah, and it, I I need both. Yeah, I I really like style. I like a lot of Baz Luhrmann style. And I think the projects of his that I like are the ones where there's as much substance as there is style. Like, in Romeo and Juliet, it's literally Shakespeare. Like, there is, you know, the, the oldest love story ever told. You know, there is a lot there to meet the style. And the style works in reinterpreting it and making it accessible for a modern audience. And then kind of the same thing in Moulin Rouge. It's like a very classic, it's it's La Boheme. It's like a very classic mm-hmm. love story. And the story works hand in hand with the style in a way that is like overwhelming in a good way. Yeah, and I, I think that when you are able to like identify the, the stylistic through lines that make Baz's work his work, I think you kind of grow a new appreciation for what is a very consistent body of work, a very small body of work, to be honest. Like, it's not a ton of stuff, but um, I don't know. That's kind of why I wanted to do an episode about it and why I forced you, in in, in the, the good tradition of this show, forced you to watch 
Strictly Ballroom, which, just before we get into it, is the beginning of what Baz refers to as the Red Curtain Trilogy, which, like, I have thoughts on. But, like, um, the Red Curtain Trilogy is Strictly Ballroom, Romeo plus Juliet, and Moulin Rouge. What year did Strictly Ballroom come out? Strictly Ballroom is a 1992 comedy um, that Baz adapted from a play he wrote that I think was really successful in Australia. And that's something, honestly, that's very important, is that, like, at the end of the day, Baz is a fucking theater nerd. Like, a, a completely hysterical and erratic and insane theater nerd. Um, But I think that informs a lot of his work. And Strictly Ballroom is the story of a ballroom dancing competitor who has not yet got the championship accolades that he's wanted. And his partner dumps out on him and he's looking for someone to help him win the championship. And this woman named Fran... Uh, like kind of falls into his orbit and she it's kind of the classic story of nerdy ugly woman takes off her glasses and he literally there's a scene where he literally <laughs> takes off. off takes off her glasses and then and i, for, I forgot that that there were movies in which that that is done <laughs> <Yes>. in earnest <laughs> Because it's such a joke now. It is a joke. It's a joke for a reason, because there are several movies in which it's done very earnestly. Yes, exactly. And she takes off her glasses, and we discover that she is but a gorgeous woman. And I love any movie that does that. But it is exactly... it's, It's a fantasy. It is cliche. And honestly... Baz is kind of good at cliches sometimes. And I that's something that I appreciated about this movie. But I just love to know you like your naked reactions. You literally just watched it yesterday. I did just watch it yesterday. I hated it. Of course! <laughs> I hated it. I hated it so much. It all was... of it? All the way through? You skipped yeah, through. Yeah, the whole, the whole... No, I watched the whole thing. Wow. It, it's only an hour and a half. You know, I knew yeah, the whole sure. time. I was like, okay, this will this too shall pass. Um, it was... The one thing it did was give me such a clear understanding of... Baz's style Mm -hmm. because you see the things that he does on a macro scale now being done on a micro scale and you realize his artistic impulses have always been there. Mm -hmm. The film is so frenetic and gaudy and maximalist. No single shot is longer than like four seconds. There's so many close-ups. He really revels in kind of ugliness Mm -hmm. as much as he revels in beauty. And I do think that this world that he's looking at, this world of competitive ballroom dancing, is a really good place to find that. Unfortunately, I just didn't like it. I just thought it Mm. was so grating and... Mm. I didn't like any of the characters. What? Um, you didn't like you didn't like Fran? I did I not love like Fran. I did not like <gasps> Fran. I thought she was pathetic. Oh, that's okay, so I'm um, sorry to like totally sideswipe you, but this is my life story. This is a biopic. I leased <laughs> my life rights to Baz in ninety two. I was one year old and I said, Baz, here are my life rights. Please adapt my story into a film. And this is the film that he made. And so you are truly coming for me because I am Fran. I can absolutely see how this is the kind of movie that a director makes that makes the industry pay attention to them and say, Mm -hmm. oh, what if we gave this person a ton of money so they could do this on a bigger scale? Mm -hmm. And truly, like, having most recently seen Elvis, 
I see the direct through line from this movie to Elvis and how, in a way, they are the same movie, just with a lot of different money and time between them. And I hated them both. Yeah, totally. But Strictly strictly Ballroom, I had so many problems with it. I was like, at the beginning, I was like, oh, is this a mockumentary? But no, that was like just the beginning. And it's like a stylistic thing that's never brought back again. I know like they're supposed to be caricatures, but it just like... I don't know. There there were moments where it like felt like it wanted to be grounded in reality and then it wasn't. And I just, I didn't like it. It was like listening to a, a really annoying song for an hour and a half. <laughs> and I just wanted it to be over. I really, really did not like it. I, listen, a lot of the things that you didn't like about it are the things that I love about Strictly Ballroom. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, it is definitely like a fine movie. Like I wasn't, I'm never itching to rewatch that movie, but... I do think that I, part of the reason I really wanted you, I was in, I, I never do this, but I did text you and I said, just reminding you to watch Strictly Ballroom, you know, and I did really want you to watch it because I think it encapsulates something that's really important about Baz Luhrmann's work when he doesn't have the budget. Like when he doesn't have the $100 million budget that he has on something like Greg Gatsby, you see the bones of what he's trying to say as an as a director, and you don't get lost in all the glitz and glam of it all, which still makes his yeah. movies great. But, but like, but I even without that the hundred million dollars, he's still doing the same buffoonery he does everywhere else. Right, it's but just, I love it's just that buffoonery. much more, much more DIY. I think the buffoonery works sometimes, and other times it really does not. It did not work for me in Strictly Ballroom. It did not work for me in Elvis. It really worked for me in Romeo and Juliet and Moulin Rouge. Also, watching Strictly Ballroom, I had just rewatched Dirty Dancing like a week before, which is I was one just of about my to say. which is one of my favorite movies. And compared to each other, like you can't you can't not compare them to each other because like they're like very like they're kind of the same movie in a lot of ways. Well, Strictly um, is very clearly a satire of. Yes. Of Dirty Dancing, right? Yes. They use because Dirty Dancing time came after... out in the late eighties. It's like yeah. yeah, it's obviously and they use a time after time. They do yeah. it on purpose, you know. And and I think that there's a kind of like oh demure woman who doesn't know her own sexual power, and all of a sudden she does. Like that's the satire, and that's kind of why I love um, Strictly Ballroom is because I actually think that the taking the glasses off the nerd to discover that she's a gorgeous woman. I don't think that was in earnest, like. I think that Baz understands that that is a trope. And, and um, sorry, we on Like a Virgin try to discuss camp as infrequently as possible, but it cannot be, you know, extricated from Baz's work is that camp is like one of the primary tools in Baz's toolbox. And that is something that I think he was flexing on and strictly uh, that worked for me and did not work for you. Um, but I, I feel like... Um, a very cartoonish blocking of scenes, hyper-stylized um, emotional stakes with emotional, with something that is like completely fake and totally cartoonish and camp, but also an emotional realism in the acting that kind of grounds it um, is something that is in was, a lot of his work. But that's the thing is that I, in Strictly Ballroom, I only saw the camp mm. and did not get the real emotion. Like, Mm-hmm. Like Romeo and Juliet is so mm-hmm. larger than life, and yet in those moments where it's like heartbreaking or tender, you feel that Moulin Rouge, like 
is so over the mm-hmm. top and so maximalist. And yet mm-hmm. I still cry when Satine dies or like you have that moment where, you know, she leaves Christian and like, it's heartbreaking. And with Strictly Ballroom, to me, it was just a cartoon. And like, I agree. I did not feel any emotional stakes. I did not think these were real people at all. I think that there is a little emotional realism between the two dance partners. I think Fran really gives it to us, but I I agree that it has at the base level, just not it's on the acting level. Actually, it's just not what Leo and Nicole are doing because the acting is bad. Although Scott is very hot. He's so hot. He has aged really poorly. I look. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Well, let's get into what I think you have once described as one of your favorite movies of all time, Romeo plus Juliet. Um, and I, I think that and I, when I came away from this movie, first of all, I cried watching this movie and I've watched it so many times I still cried. Leo deserved an Oscar nom. I'm sorry. He deserved an Oscar nom for this movie, period. I, I probably sound like an idiot for saying that, but Leo, I... Leo's incredible. That one scene where he's like screaming. What, what, ah, is, what he's is the He's shooting line? a gun. Yeah, he's shooting yeah. a gun. Um, I defy oh. you, stars. Oh, it's I so good. I oh also think God. I also think Claire Danes is incredible in it. So like, fucking good. The ending, the ending, or like oh, when she when I she goes to the priest with the gun. I, I think everyone acts their ass off in this movie. Um, Harold Perrineau, who plays Mercutio, so good, incredible performance. Also, incredible usage of 
that song. Um, young hearts, young hearts run, run free. free. So candy, good, something. I uh, love the soundtrack. That. I, I mean, the soundtrack of Romeo and Juliet is so good, like next level. Honestly, I think Romeo and Juliet, I mean, Romeo plus Juliet, um, really kind of shows us what Baz does best. And I think that is cinematic invention. Like, to place Romeo and Juliet in the modern day, but to keep Shakespearean dialogue, which a lot of people are divided on, whatever, and that's like where a lot of the criticism was, I think is cinematic invention. We have not seen someone do that before. And I think that- And do it so well. So well. Do it in a way- do it it's in a way. Clear. Yeah, you absolutely understand what they're saying. And I, unlike you, I'm not a Shakespearean dialogue girl. Like I, you know, could barely get through Shakespeare books like, without spark notes as, you know, a high schooler. That's just like my reading comprehension level. And like, and to see it in in context in this movie makes me sure that not only is this one of the most beautiful stories ever told, but like the best thing Shakespeare has ever written. It might not be my favorite Shakespeare play, but I think it's the best play that Shakespeare has ever written. And and what I love about how Baz... I disagree and, with that, but... Okay, 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 okay. But here's the thing. is like, you know, in our West Side Story discussion, we touched briefly on the fact that, like, it's not a believable story, right? Romeo and Juliet, like, you know, falling in love after one day and then, you know, you, you you kill the brother, you kill the cousin, and yet you still are in love with each other and then kill yourselves. It's like, there's nothing about that that is can, has emotional realism in a modern day. And yet Baz makes you believe it. And that yeah. is really hard to do. And West Side Story did not make me believe it. Let me tell yeah, you the new he, one. He makes the stakes... Very real, very believable. He also, I think, does what a lot of productions of Romeo and Juliet fail to do, which is remind you that these are teenagers. Yes. And so, of course, the emotions are heightened. Of course, everything is literally life and death because they're young and horny and it makes them sexy, romantic and sexy. Mm-hmm. The scene where they see each other across the fish tank is so oh beautiful. God. And the and, and the way <laughs> and the, the pool scene. It's just so Girl, good. For me, the needle drop is the uh, um and I kissing you. It's so I mean, uh, but that's the other thing is like um that, that, that cinematic invention, like, the fact that the meet-cute is through an aquarium, um, the fact that the Queen Mab monologue is about, you know, MDMA, right? The Mercutio is a faggot, and, like, when they when they fight with their guns, this, the gun says, like, dagger or whatever. Like, that's, I think that's, like, on the writing level, brilliant and fun. And, like, people probably think it's, like, cheesy or cheap or... You know, like all all of those kinds of things, but like I I just like have so much fun every single time I I watch that movie, and I think that's like what's so good about his work and about the quote unquote Red Curtain trilogy. Even though I don't really think I think it's really wedged in. I don't think Strictly Ballroom really belongs. Yeah, in, it's a really in, good use of just spectacle storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes sense. Romeo and Juliet in context is a spectacle. And so like placing it in this context makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I think all of the different tools that he uses to contemporize the story, like, you know, the news report at the beginning, Mm -hmm. it just, I love the news report. It's so brilliant. It all works so well. And 
part it's of so that, engaging. Part of that is because, like, I do think that Baz works best when he's working with tropes and when he's applying his style to familiar stories. Right. And, you know, when I watch this movie, like, in my, like, freshman English class, I, I don't remember having an attachment to an auteur, right? Like, to see the aesthetic through lines of things that I love about Baz's work. Because I actually, okay, I watched Strictly Ballroom in my high school dance class. You know, it's like one of those moments where, like, your da- your teacher, like, doesn't feel like working that day, and then... <laughs> and then they're like, let's just watch a movie. Um, so it's weird that, like, my high school, like, just introduced me to all of Baz Luhrmann's work for, like, no reason. Um, well, we're but... different girlies because my auteur, when I was a teenager, was Sofia Coppola. So, like, oh, I think that is, Sophia like, episode. that is the real divide between maybe our sensibilities. Truly, truly. Actually, the, and I think that actually perfectly encapsulates, like, where we come from on the artistic level. Yeah. Um, okay, let's talk Moulin Rouge, though. Yeah. Oh, well, I just have to quickly say that um, the thing, the one thing that, that Baz does not pull off <laughs> with Robia Plus Juliet is the fact that um, the invention of phones and also therapy are just kind of conveniently ignored as they would have, you know, resolved well, they, what is the crucial conflict of the the play. Um, and yet, here it is. But, like, okay, you know, what is there even to say about Moulin Rouge, Rose? Yes, and like, we have already talked about Moulin Rouge in our mm-hmm. episode on Nicole Kidman, which you should definitely go back and revisit. So I think we won't get that too in-depth in it today. Mm-hmm. But for me, like, Romeo and Juliet, I loved Romeo and Juliet, but... I think what Romeo and Juliet opened me up to more was Shakespeare, and it was like Mm. an entry point to that to me. Mm. Moulin Rouge I loved for itself and the thing that it was, and I remember seeing it and being so gagged by it and, Mm. you know, like thinking, oh, God, the movie musical is back because the movie musical was kind of dead when when Moulin Rouge came out, Mm -hmm. and it did sort of revive it for a little bit, but nothing really ever kind of came close to, to being, to being well, what Sh- it was. Chicago, Chicago was in Chicago was in the in the dust of or yeah. it came right after. You know, again, Baz is working with an existing story. Moulin Rouge is based off of La Boheme and he tells this kind of archetypal tale in the biggest way possible. And it just really works because all the elements are there. Like the story, the setting, you know, like the, you know, the the Bohemian Revolution and like can-can dancers and Paris mm-hmm. and like it, it just all works. And then you have Ewan McGregor being like the most perfect soft boy like lead perfect. ever. I was so in love with him after this movie. Oh my God. Oh, Jim Broadbent is so compelling. The the villains are so compelling. Every performance is so good. And like the the just the faggotry injected in all of Baz's films is really um palpable. Like I, and I j- the freneticness really works there. Mm-hmm. Like um mm-hmm. you know at the beginning when Christian goes to their apartment and like there's the sound of music moment and then the person who'd been writing the play is like, goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, and I can just like hear those line readings so perfectly. And like so that the story moves so quickly and you don't miss anything. Like the, the swiftness with, with which you move through the setup works really well and like gets you where you need to go with the perfect amount of time. Like that movie starts and like, 
I think within the first 10 minutes, like, Nicole is descending from the ceiling. Yes, yes. And, like, everything about, like, all of Baz's work Goodbye. is so... <laughs> Line readings, actually, I'm thinking also about... And um, um, Lady Capulet is so fierce in, in that movie, in the other... In Romeo and Juliet, and how she goes... Romeo slew Tybalt! Romeo shall not live! It's like, Baz had you, as a director, be like, can you take it to 120 for me? Like, yeah. he, like, that... Uh, or think, the nurse in Romeo and Juliet? Uh, Icon. Julieta! 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 The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's get into the rest of Baz's work, which is, I think, much more mediocre. Um, I, I think that Baz suffers from structure issues, issues of, like, completely discarding, like, artistic devices that you've employed or completely discarding emotional reality because you want it to be a cartoon. Like, a lot of times those are the best parts of something like Moulin Rouge or Romeo and Juliet. And with others, it's just like... You see right through it. You know what I well, mean. I like, never saw Australia. No, um, we, we don't I, need to discuss. I saw the I saw the Great Gatsby when it came out in theaters. I think I remember it being fine. Same. The only thing memorable to me about Great Gatsby was the soundtrack, um, the Florence yeah. song, Lana. and then the Lana song. And so that's like very much. It's that movie. I think was way more style over substance. I think that like obviously stylistically that movie is pretty gorgeous, but like. And I also love parties. I love party scenes. I think that Baz does it best in all of his movies. 
But um, the only thing that I remember from that movie is how good Carrie Mulligan is, and I, I re- yeah, she is, and I, 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 I think of the famous shirt scene, which in the book is insane. Like it, he's literally just pulling out these shirts and 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 showing her, and she's like, "Oh my god, these shirts are so beautiful!" And she just cries looking at shirts, and it's like so confusing to read. But like Carrie Mulligan makes it make sense, and I think that's really well blocked. It like yeah, it's something I'm sure that makes part sense, of it. You know, I'm sure part of it is that I just don't really love. The Great Gatsby as a book, and so yeah, I super care, which is a bummer because Florence Welch is apparently like making a Great Gatsby musical. Okay, I will watch that. Yeah, I'll watch it too. So you, there's some, there's um, I didn't know that there was this Baz Luhrmann TV show you were you were mentioning before. Yes, can you can you give me a little like TLDR on what that was? Yes, TLDR, The Get Down, is a Netflix original series that came out in the kind of House of Cards, Orange is the New Black era of Netflix. Mm-hmm. Basically, um, The Get Down is about the emergence of disco and hip-hop that rose around the same time and how those communities, which are obviously you know, based in Black culture and invention of Black culture, surrounds a kind of group of like artists and rappers coming up in, like, 1970s Harlem. And, you know, on paper, it's like, is, are you sure you want to tell this story, <laughs> Baz Luhrmann? <laughs> like, yikes. Um, and But I, I honestly, so I watched it as it came out um, way back when, and I remember liking it a lot um, and being really shocked by that there wasn't more negative sentiment around the get down. Like I, I, I really was. It, it had a lot of critical acclaim, and the second that it was canceled after the the release of its first two parts, but the Shocking. second part, I know, but this <laughs> I know Netflix, um, but the second part um, got even better reviews. It was even more critically acclaimed, and they felt like Baz kind of cleaned up what he wasn't really doing well in the classic Baz Luhrmann way. And something that must be noted, and part of why I think the show um, was not under a lot of criticism, and honestly, you know, very in the through line of our Beyonce discussion last week, is, um, you know, the production hired Nas, Grandmaster Flash, Curtis Blow, DJ Cool Herc, like all of these DJs that were in that era, like, as producers on the show. Like, they were credited to be a part of the story that Baz was trying to tell. And to me, that is the number one thing you can do as a creator, is to make these people your lateral collaborators on something. And so, and I also know that the rollout of the the show invested in the communities it was trying to represent. But, I mean, I don't even, I don't have much more to say about it other than the fact that Jaden Smith in the last episode of the last part, kisses a guy, and that is the story we were robbed of because I wanted to watch the Jaden Smith like romance plotline. But you know, the show is shockingly good. I'm not gonna lie. Okay, interesting. Um, <laughs> something that wasn't shockingly good was Elvis, which <laughs> I-, I talked about when I saw it last month, and I th- we all know I did not like it. Um, yes. You have since seen it and now that we're talking about Baz I think we can talk about the reasons why I don't think it works in the context of all his other work and why you agree disagree you know I think we have um some some, I disagreed with at least one point that you brought up on the pod that I kind of want to but the rest I think I agreed with Um, okay well let's talk about it yeah but I I wanted to I feel like no, 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 not even call you in. I think that it's um, because your take, I think, is the most common take. I heard a, I've 
heard a lot of people say a version of the, like, the movie's not interested in Elvis's life, and, like, this is not a biopic, right? Like, it's not, you know, a telling of a very fascinating figure in pop culture. And I, I agree that, like, the focal point should have been on Elvis, and the fact that the whole movie focuses on his manager, someone who is essentially, like, the Scooter Braun of the 1950s, like, it's like, we don't, like, I don't want to watch a movie about Scooter Braun, you know what I mean? Like, I'm sh- maybe that's Baz's next project, but it's like, that's not fascinating. But to me, I think that, I guess I should say, I didn't disagree with the take, but I think the spin on it is that if Baz is going to do a movie about Elvis's life, I'm not looking for reality. Like, I'm never going to sign up for a Baz Luhrmann movie and say, oh, I expect this to be keeping up with the thing it's trying to portray. I did not do not expect it to be historically accurate. I do not expect it to be invested in truth, even though freedom, beauty, truth, and love are Baz Luhrmann's belief systems. But like, I, I just, it's, it's, I knew that it wasn't going to be true, quote unquote. And I, I still felt like there was a movie in the Elvis movie that was really good. It just like should have been structured better. The structure. Yeah. I, I didn't need, I didn't need truth either, but I did need beauty, freedom and love. And I didn't get, I didn't get any of those. And I think, I think Baz told a story about Elvis that he wanted to, rather than trying to find the most interesting story. Mm -hmm. And like, I mean, when it comes to biopics, I have to say, I don't love biopics, but -hmm. I would much rather watch a biopic that's like a slice of life, like something like My Week with Marilyn or Judy, even though Mm -hmm. Judy is a really bad movie, but Mm -hmm. Renee Zellweger gives an incredible performance in it. Um, I think it's, it's really difficult to tell the entirety of someone's life story, especially someone who's had such a huge impact on pop culture the way that Elvis did. Mm-hmm. But I think Baz Luhrmann just got so much in his own way with mm-hmm. that movie. And just, it's it's crazy to see him doing the same things he did all the way back in Strictly Ballroom, mm-hmm. but with so much money and power at his disposal and it's all the same artistic impulses just Mm -hmm. dialed up to a thousand and they're still getting in the way of telling an interesting story that is the failure of the maximalism for sure and like i think that because baz has so many ideas or all of his, you know, co-collaborators forget to tell him, hey, honey, have you ever thought about editing this movie? Because Great Gatsby is three hours long, Australia is three hours long, Elvis is three hours long, and all of these movies do not need to be three hours long, and no, also no have movie a lot... No except Titanic needs to be three hours and long. And also just, like, structural nightmares. Like, have no yeah. idea why we are going back and forth over and over again, um, time-wise, and, and, and failing, and also just, like, the way that Baz employs voiceover is like so cheap and so bizarre. And I, I just like, if I heard Tom Hanks's accent, if, if I'm on set day one with Tom Hanks and this is the accent he is doing, I'm rewriting the movie. I'm or recasting rewriting him. the movie. He was so miscast. <laughs> he was horrible. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm horrible, literally, yeah. there, there's no, and I'm not someone who says very flatly, like, I like to add nuance to things. He was patently bad. And I'm upset 
about, I feel like it was an insult, honestly, to the story as a whole for him to do what he did with this role. And I thought that Baz wrote, I don't know why Baz was so fascinated by him as a character. It's That's another movie, babe, you know what I mean? But like, for me... Even though, well, maybe because Baz sees himself in him, girl. And that's, that's very, it. That's and that's very telling. That's the take, girl. Oh my god. And I honestly, though, um, Austin, what's his face, was transcendent when he yeah, Austin performed. Butler's great. It's a great performance, and he, like I think he'll probably be nominated for an Oscar. Well, but the thing is, his acting, his I think his actual acting was not very good. But I felt like. His performances as Elvis were some of some of my favorite things I've watched on screen in a year or more. Like I think his acting is good in that he does a really good job of being Elvis. Just like sure. the voice and the mannerisms the alone, I think, are enough to get him an Oscar nomination. The wigs were unforgivable in this movie. Elvis has cuckoo bananas hair, but it doesn't look it doesn't need to look like a wig. And it looks like a wig. And I I just, like, I felt that that was, like, very distracting throughout. But, like, there's, like, a failure in, like, how biopics are marketed in general, right? Like, pretty much anything that um, tries to interpret a real person is called a biopic. But not all, just as you said, like, My Week with Marilyn, it's not really a biopic. It's just a slice of life story. And I agree, like, those are my favorite kind of adaptations of real people and real celebrities. So I think the marketing of Elvis is part of why it suffered, right? Like people came in for a movie about Elvis and because it's called Elvis and that's just not what they got. Um, And because it had been labeled biopic, like it just like doubles the anger that you feel when you walk out of that um, film. But like Tom Hanks obviously could have been in like 80% less of it. And on top of that, like, Obviously, you're not going to have a conversation about Elvis without talking about, like, his relationship to black people in, like, 2022. And um, Baz is someone who has not necessarily um, failed. I think if you look at the get down, like, you know, there are some really offensive things um, in how people are portrayed, sure. Um, But at the end of the day, like, you know, he tried, they tried, whatever. But, like, I thought that, like what they were trying to say about, like, Elvis, you know, coming up in the black church or, like, be having this transcendent moment in the black church and then being really sad when Martin Luther King died. It's, like, it was offensively shallow. Like, there was... Offensively n- shallow and, like, it it was a spin on what actually happened because what actually happened is that Elvis stole black music. Yeah. And appropriated it. Yeah. And in the movie, it's very, like... Oh, they were so happy for his success. Yes, black people gave him permission. He came back and hung out with them, and, and like, he was, was such good fine. friends with BB King. Like, of course, and he wasn't like he. They were friends, yeah, but like that was just like a quote unquote cinematic invention, so to speak. Um, like it just was not. It was not right. It and, has it has everything to do with us exactly. And I just like I am. Um, for me, the movie, and I'd be curious to know like what is the Elvis movie you want to see because for me it's like Elvis versus the American moral crisis of the 1950s is an amazing movie like the censorship of it all was so fascinating and that should have been the whole thing yeah like I honestly think a movie that is entirely about like that one concert he did at the baseball field like and everything around that is a really interesting movie I also think like a movie that's just about his time in Hollywood 
would be a really interesting piece of his life. Um, Or something, if you want to do something that's a little darker, something about his final years, like, is there a movie that's, like, about one show that he did in Vegas? You know? Like, because I do think at at the end of the movie, when he's doing those Vegas performances, like, that to me were some of the parts that worked the best. Mm -hmm. And so I think, like, that movie with, like, an older actor who's, like, Elvis at the end of his life could be really interesting. I also... But but that's the problem with this movie is that it tries to be all those different movies in one movie and is also still this movie about Elvis's manager. And and that's the thing is, like, I love villains. Baz loves villains, right? Like, Tibble, oh, my God, John Leguizamo. We forgot to talk about John Leguizamo and fucking Romeo and Juliet. Like... Baz is good at villains, and so because we understand him as an auteur, we understand why he might focus on Tom Hanks's character, but it's just not what was interesting. But he also loves heroes, and Elvis was not a hero in his own movie to me. And yeah, but also, like, Elvis was kind of a piece of shit in his later life. Elvis fucking sucked. And and at at least in his later life. And I think I would have really loved to see, you know, the growth between this, like, country boy who was, you know, so modest, yet his hips didn't lie back when he did those, like, recordings, which when I first watched the movie, I started revisiting, like, the earliest, early, early recordings of Elvis and how different he sounds. And the movie, I think, it gorgeously adapts, like, how um, Elvis thought about um, blues music and grass. And, and, And that I honestly had never really thought about Elvis in the tradition of blues, honestly, because Elvis music is almost became its own genre because what a white person had never really done it before. Um, and so this like rock hybrid became like a, it started a whole new generation of rock pop. Right. Um, but I was revisiting all this like old Elvis music and like, it really is like stunning, stunning music. It sounds like it's, it was recorded through a tin can, but it's still so I, I cool. Just, the movie did not make me want to, revisit Elvis's music or learn anything else about him. I just was so put off by all of the shenanigans and the sparkle mm-hmm. and the editing and the fucking Doja Cat song. Girl. And it just like I it just left me completely like apathetic about all of it. And that's the thing is like, it's almost like the things that you and I really love about Baz Luhrmann are the things that his last three films have really suffered from, right? A surplus of ideas that the plot suffers from. And like, you know, I agree that like, this is kind of a lame movie, but like, I had the opposite reaction. I became much more fascinated with the reality of Elvis's life. And so I did deep dive and revisit a lot of his work. And, and, you know, that's something that I think I can credit the movie for like it's still. I read his a... Wikipedia. Yeah, but, yeah. Like, that was it. I know that's. And the I thing. would rather have just read his Wikipedia than have seen that movie. I would like that... those three hours of my life back. Well, that's and that's the other thing is like the movie was very Wikipedia. Like it, yeah. it really, and that's like if you're gonna do a biopic, like slice of life is the way to go. It, it was um, very Wikipedia, and then still glossed over all these uncomfortable aspects of his life, like the fact that he was a fucking groomer child predator. Oh, I forgot about that. How did you gloss over that? And that's also, like, back to the piece of shit of it all. It's like, it would have been so fascinating to go from, you know, podunk country boy to the horrendously corrupt Vegas sellout, 
that he became. Like, the death of a soul, which I think the movie tried to get at, was very fascinating to me. And how Vegas was a kind of moment of sellout, created, obviously, by a very evil manager. But that's still something... That's, like, really fascinating. And for to become someone who was angry, who was depressed, who, you know, routinely took out a gun and shot TVs or whatever. Like, that's the movie I wanted to watch. What do you think could be next for Baz Luhrmann? Or what would you like to see from him? Whatever it is, it's not original material, right? Like, Baz only adapts existing material, with the exception of Strictly Ballroom. But even you could argue that that was an adaptation of Dirty Dancing, Maybe we'll right? get a Baz Luhrmann Marvel movie. <laughs> I Well, Baz has said that he wanted to adapt Guys and Dolls. Like, Baz... I mean, I, I don't know if y'all... I, I reread this New York Times profile. I remember reading it back when it came out and, and, being, and remembering how absurd it was um, and that it really actually changed my relationship to someone that I really, really loved. But, like... He's this, like, wackadoodle man who, like, lays in bed and has, like, four assistants, like, surrounding him, like, recording everything he says. And, like, you know, when he says, come sit by the bed, they come sit by the bed, right? And he, like, hops out of the bed and he's naked and he's like, it's nude Fridays. And, like, he's laying in bed with his collaborator. That's inappropriate. <laughs> yes, it's it's so inappropriate. It's literally sexual, sexual harassment. Um, But also, like, him and his collaborator slash wife is fascinating to me. Her name is CM. She goes by CM. Like, everyone calls her CM. And she won two Oscars for Moulin Rouge, right? But Baz famously has no Oscars for Moulin Rouge. I mean, has the Oscars, sure, but, like, those awards went to his wife for production and costume. And I think that that whole thing, you know, to, to polish off the convo, Baz would probably be better at making movies if he was just gay. But he's not. Oh, yeah. He's not. And But he has this, like, costume designer production design wife and they have a bizarrely kind of chaste business production relationship like it's so I, I would love to meet and talk and have dinner with him because I feel like I can't fully grasp Baz as a human even I think after all the profiles so, I would think that would be so infuriating <laughs> you, a conversation with him yeah because he's clearly a narcissist but anybody that rich and famous has to be We are going on vacation. You know, it's the end of summer. We're gonna, you know, like uh, live our lives a little bit. So the Some next much needed TLC. Yes. Yeah, so the next two episodes are pre-recorded, but they're really good. They're gonna be sort of like the the bonus episodes we were doing in June, where we get a little deeper, a little more personal and vulnerable. They're less timely, but still listen. They're really good. Um, and support us because we all deserve vacations. We've been working very hard all summer, especially producer Phoebe, to get these eps edited and out. And as always, post about the show, tag our Finsta at Like a Virgin for 2069. Um, tell us what you think of these special eps, honestly. Like, we're always shaping the show, figuring out what you guys like, what you dislike and we don't always take it into consideration but like always curious to know like what you're responding to yes um you can leave us a review on apple Podcasts. it really helps us a lot even if it's like sassy or well not negative because if you don't like the show then don't listen to it and don't tell us um i'm your co-host rose domu and you can find me anywhere online at rose domu and I am your other co-host, Fran Torado. You can find me at Co on all social media and TikTok. I finally, finally, finally started. I know, and I noticed you, but you've been making TikToks. I've, I've been enjoying them. I've been trying to follow your guidance and just 
post things without thinking Yeah, just ship post. Um, subscribe to Like a Virgin anywhere you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating on Spotify or a review on Apple Podcasts. Like a Virgin is an iHeartRadio production. Our producer is Phoebe Unter with support from Lindsay Hoffman, Julian Weller, Jess Krainchich, and Nikki Etor. Until next week, bye, ciao! I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. 